You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal's pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in Dark Pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, 
content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a light on all things disability. Sometimes we do sexy stuff. Sometimes we do disability stuff. It's all become an awesome kind of amalgamation of different things, and I kind of love where the where the direction of this show is going. And thank you for coming to our Thursday edition. Here we are. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your number one queer cripple, your d- disabled Dick Smith. I am your, who, what else am I? Your disabled Dandy, your disabled heartthrob. I'm all those things to you. Um, and I'm also your awesome host. So get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get the show started. First things first, friends, I need to tell you something awesome. We are five episodes away from our official 200th full episode. We've done we've done a, like bonus things. We've done Minnesota. So technically on the feed, we're like, we're at 200 episode, 250 episodes on the feed. But officially, as per like the, the episode count when I was, before I did bonus things, we're at, this is 195, so we're five episodes away from a, from our official 200th episode, which is holy wow, I didn't even think we'd get here. I've said this a number of times on the show, I never even thought we would get past like 20 or 30, and here we are, three and a half years later, almost four years later, and this is what we've accomplished together. So I'm just so chuffed and so pleased and so happy that we could do this and I can use my platform on Disability After Dark to have these discussions and it means so much to me that you keep listening and you keep supporting the show and you leave reviews and I get emails all the time telling me how important the show is for you and I thank you so much. I'm really, really proud that this little program from my bedroom that I've made that I started listening, you know, I started recording this on my Apple headphones in my that I just plugged into my MacBook and hoped to say some things and here we are. So this really is I'm just so so excited. Thank you so much for listening and supporting me. If you want to support the show, you can do what so many people have done on the show and you can go to patreon.com/disabilityafterdark and you can pledge as little as $1 a month. $5 a month or whatever you're actually able to donate is amazing if you're able to and you can help keep the show going and I really really appreciate that. So if you want to donate, you can go to patreon.com/disabilityafterdark for donating. You'll get the show one day early on our Patreon feed and you'll listen to it on Wednesday instead of Thursday and then you'll get a sexy or awkward or both shout out for me using your name and just saying thank you for donating. So if you want to do that, you can go to, again, patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thank you, thank you. But now, let's get on to today's show. On the episode today, something happened that I'm really, really excited about. You may have been listening for some time, and you know that since about episode 134, I've been recording episodes where I speak predominantly to, to gay men who I wanted to really combat ableism within the gay community, and I wanted to talk, talk about how... Ableism and and all those feelings that most 
non-disabled gay men had about disability, what it felt like for them, and I wanted to really interrogate, not interrogate, but I wanted to sit down with gay men and talk to them about ableism and ask them how they felt about disability by posing the question, what would happen to you if you became disabled tomorrow? And I've spoken to prominent porn stars, I've spoken to prominent gay people like Dan Savage, I've spoken to so many people about this, and I love this series because it was really, really important for me to bring that to light. In doing this series this way, I had some people reach out to me and say, you know, Andrew, I love this series too, and it's really valuable and important to me, and thank you for doing it, but we've noticed that you have only been featuring gay men, and that 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 feels like you're kind of excluding a whole sex uh, segment of the population, and I was like, you know what, you're right, I totally am. So what I did a few months ago was I put a call out for um, trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people who who did not identify as disabled to come on the show and answer the question, what would happen if you became disabled tomorrow? And guess what? I have a guest today that answers that call. Let's talk about them right now. On this episode, I sit down with my gender non-conforming friend, Chris Robin, and we talk about their experiences being a gender non-conforming person and what would happen to them if they became disabled tomorrow and, and predominantly if they became a wheelchair user tomorrow. And one of the things I love about this conversation was how we talked about the experience of disability through a different lens and the experience of disability on like how would their gender nonconforming identity be affected if they were to become a wheelchair user. We talk a little bit about how their experience in the bathroom as a gender non-conforming person with a penis would change if they were to be a wheelchair user. We talk about how would they ask their friends if they needed to pee. We talk about all those things with them, and it was such a fun conversation. We also talk about their experiences as a teacher right now and how their experiences teaching might change, how also their volunteerism in places like soup kitchens and places like that would change should they become a wheelchair user tomorrow. So it was a nuanced conversation, really, really fun and really, really important. And I felt it was really cool to sit down with somebody who was not a gay man and have these discussions. Now, during this recording, my audio fucked up a couple times. And so there's a point during our Zoom call, because how many of us are now like obsessed with trying to get Zoom working because that's how all of us communicate now. So there was a point during our Zoom chat where we could we were being recorded but neither of us could hear each other. So I'm a shitty editor and I'm not editing that out. So you'll just hear you'll hear both of us at some point be like, Hello, hello but we eventually get back on track and that I think happens once or twice. But it was a really important conversation. I was really, really happy to have it with Chris Robin, and I'm excited for you to meet them. So, without further ado, here's my interview and answering the question, what would happen if you became a wheelchair user tomorrow, right now on Disability After Dark. Chris Robin, hello. Hi, hello, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm good. I'm doing real well, considering everything going on. Doing pretty okay. I mean, the world is literally on fire, but we're doing we're doing our best. Right. I'm just gonna dance through the fire, as this song says. Yeah. Well, I mean, what yeah. else can we do? Um, exactly. I'm excited to have you here because 
you reached out to me months and months ago when I put a call out for, I wanted to do a, what would happen if you became disabled episode with somebody who was not a gay man. And you reached out to me and said, I'm a gender non-conforming person and I want to be a part of this. And can we do this? And I was like, yes, please. Yes, yes. So it finally happened. The God smiled upon us. We finally got to connect. Finally, finally. Thank you. Thank you. Due to time and like our lives and just the world falling apart. So we're finally here together. We're here. We're here. We're queer. We're fabulous. We're doing this. And I... I love Chris Robin that you reached out to me and said I'm a gender non-conforming person and I want to talk about this because I think it's really important because, you know, I had started this series specifically with, and this speaks to my own privilege, specifically with, like, gay men in mind because I wanted to topple the idea of ableism within the gay male community specifically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, we'll start there. And I've done a handful of episodes with you know, pretty prominent gay men in the community. But I was like, mm-hmm. I had been called out by a bunch of people in the community being like, not called out, but like gently sort of prodded in to do it, to do it a different way. And they're like, well, why do you keep only centering gay men? And I was like, you know, you're yeah. right. That's a good, that's the thing. Thank you for letting me know. So when you reached out and said, I want to do that, I was like, yes, please. That's great. Because oh, that's great. I want to expand my horizons and I want to have these conversations with everybody. So this is, Great. And so if you're listening and you're like, what kind of episode is this today? We're going to be doing it if you became disabled tomorrow, but we're going to talk about it from a gender non-conforming and, and non-gay male perspective, which I'm super happy about. Yeah. Um, before I jump into that, okay. can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little yeah. bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, as you know, I'm Chris Robin. Um, I have been working in and out of like the activist circle for quite a few years now. Um, when Trump was elected in office, I went and marched on Washington. And then I worked locally uh, meeting just different like Congress people and different organizations in around like my area of Cook County, which is Chicago. Uh, then I did help to form a non-for-profit uh, dedicated to helping queer lives in the area. Uh, and then I've just sort of right now been focusing on school because I'm about to be student teaching in the fall. So it's like I'm right at that point. So it's like world falling apart plus trying to like finish <laughs> like school. So it's been a lot of fun and I've just been really busy and just trying to like, you know, keep the momentum going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and one thing I'm curious about before we jump into the deep question of if you became disabled tomorrow, one thing I am curious about is, you know, being a gender non-conforming person and doing all that, how how does doing all those things as a gender non-conforming person feel for you? Or am I, am I ignorant in asking that? Because, like, does it feel different? Should it feel different? No, I don't think you're ignorant in asking that at all. And I always tell people, like, I, I prefer when people ask questions uh, rather than make assumptions. Yeah. And I, I would hope that a lot of people would, like, prefer to be asked a question rather than just have somebody make an assumption about them. Totally. Um. So, no, it, it's it's been a weird it's been a weird way to navigate it because there aren't any, like, pronouns for me really as a teacher to you know as a non-conforming teacher to be like okay call me this the closest thing i found is mx and you pronounce it like mix so it'd be like i would be like mix robin and i don't know like how i feel about that as like you know what i mean like yeah. as 
as a way for students to address me. What age and then, group of kids are you wanting to, are you hoping to teach? Do you, do you know yet? Or are they just going to throw you in the mix? So I really, that's the funny question. Um, I really wanted to do high school, but they seem to like kind of putting me towards like junior high, but I'm getting certified K through 12. So I can do like kindergarten through high school. And then once I actually get like certified, cause I already have a degree in fine arts. So then yeah. once I get certified, I have to go back and get my master's and then I can teach college. So right now I'm looking more towards like junior high, which is a really great time because like kids is are it? like, I remember junior high. It wasn't super great for me. It was, it no, for you. no, no, God, no. Oh God, no, God, no. And I actually went back and I did some student teaching in like my junior high awkward awkward experience a lot of my teachers are still there i was like no no get me oh, out of here wow. that's so weird it was so weird it was so weird i was like nope nope but what i meant more is like it's a, it's an interesting time for kids because it's like I, I like to say that they're like they're fully verbal but they don't fully have like an idea of like what they're saying yet yeah. so it's like it's a great time where it's like you're really starting to see kids like form an idea of who they are and you kind of like like they're looking at you as their teacher to like help guide them to be like okay this is like i'm okay to be this person and so you get that opportunity when you get like like a little queer kid or you know somebody in your in your classroom to just be like man do you and be you so yeah and i mean i think i think and again this is not an experience i've had so i'm speaking totally out of my ass here but like i think (laughs) being a gender non-conforming teacher for any kids who may be feeling that way or feeling like they want to experiment with like, you know, dressing a different way or yeah. identifying a different way. That might be a really cool touchstone to have, to have somebody that's like, Oh, uh, Mix Robin does that. So why can't I, like, it's, I think it would just, I, I can't remember having any teachers in my high school or middle school. I mean, they were, we definitely had queer teachers for sure, but yeah. they were never out about it. So it wasn't something we could openly discuss. And like, I had a teacher who was gay coming out as a, when I came out and he was like super, he was really great, but he was, he, we knew each other was gay, but we kept it a secret from the rest of the world. But it was yeah. not something that we could just express. So no, like I feel like times have changed since since then. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean it's still like work still needs to be done, obviously. Um, but it is it's a really exciting time to like be a teacher because exactly like things are changing. So as like queer people, like we can be more expressive. Like I've had students in my class who are you know trying to figure out their gender identity and like playing with gender identity and playing with like how they express that through the way they dress. And it that's it, it is it's a really exciting time to be like a queer person like going into the educational field right now. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into the big question for today. Okay. What would happen if you became disabled tomorrow? And my first question on that line of questioning is, what do you think being, and we're going to use my me as a wheelchair user as the model because okay. that's the safest experience that I know how to speak about properly without, <laughs> without pretending like I know the stuff that I don't. So, <laughs> so what do you think? being a wheelchair user might be like as somebody who does not identify as having a disability, what do you think it's like? I mean, I have been honestly like thinking about this question really hard since, uh, since we first like reached out, I like was like writing essays about it like last semester and stuff because it's something I just oh, wow. like, Send me those. <laughs> I, 
I just think it's such an interesting question that I've never been proposed this way. Like, like what would happen if I was like wheelchair bound tomorrow? And like, the reality is like the school that like I'm studying in right now, the buildings were like made in the fifties. Some of them don't even have elevators and stuff right now. Yeah. So like my, my whole world would literally change. Like, I don't know if I would be able to live in the house that I live in right now. I don't know if I would be, be able to go to the school that I go to right now. And then I started trying to find out and I couldn't find it, like what the percentage is of buildings in the United States right now that don't have like any kind of like, like wheelchair access or any kind of like elevator access. And like, that really upsets me to think that like, I, if I, was in a wheelchair tomorrow that I wouldn't even maybe be able to go to the school that I go to right now. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's really sad that in this day and age we are still, it's, it's something people really have to think about. Like, could you go to the, could you go to school? Could you have a job? Could you work? Could you do the same thing you're doing? And you know, all the gay men that I, that I speak to the minute that when I, when I do the series, when I bring up that question, they all say the same thing. Like, Oh, I never, I wasn't, I'm not sure. And they get all like flustered. And I love how flustered they get because it shows that like they've never considered it. And I love that your, your answer back to me was, well, I did think about it and uh, I don't know how I feel like it's, I then I think, you know, that, that feeling of like not knowing how to feel about it is really valid and really, really honest because to be, to be fair, if I woke up tomorrow and I was a wheelchair user and having not lived this experience for 36 years, I'd probably feel the same way. <laughs> Right. Right. Like, and it just like, it honestly, like, it makes me, it makes me angry though. Like it makes me angry though, because like, you know, you, especially when like you look at like everything that's like going on right now and it's 2020, like we could be doing better as a society, right? Like we could, not not just we could, we should be doing better. We should be exactly. We we should should be be Elon's ahead of where we are. Exactly, exactly. Because I mean, all of this was stuff that's like, and then it's like, you see, like, all these people like, oh, we like what Martin Luther King act this way or would like, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, you guys were doing all of this in the 60s. Like this should like, that was like, what, what, 50 something years ago now, like this should all be taken care of. It's so like, again, but and see the other side of me is like, yes. But then I was like, I don't know. Like, oh. like, I don't know how I would be if I was, like, disabled in the 50s. Andrew? Yeah. Oh, no, did I lose you? I can see you. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. We lose connection. Hello? Hi. Hello. I don't know what happened there. It you were, I like could it, see you the whole time. You were good. Okay. Okay. I couldn't, you were not like, you were not like, you had frozen. <laughs> Weird. Weird. Yeah. Sorry. You were moving and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so we I'm going to try to cut that out. I'm a horrible editor, but I'll try to cut that out. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. But I, so you were saying about like the, you know, that's all the stuff should be taken care of. Again, I don't know how I would fare in like the fifties and sixties and seventies during all the, the like disability rights stuff. I don't know how I would be then either. Like I'm kind of glad that I was born in the eighties where things weren't perfect, but they're a lot closer to like, I'm glad I wasn't born in the fifties with a disability or like the thirties, you know? Yes. Yeah. Because like, 
I mean, okay. So like, I like, I, as somebody who's, who's been a teacher, like I'm, I, I've done research on like, you know, like what stuff was like, like how people with disabilities or mental illness and stuff were handled in the, like you said, in the twenties and thirties and stuff. And like, even like mental illness and stuff like that was like, um, looked at as like, like possession do you know what i'm saying like it was like yeah it was like demons inside you yeah exactly so i don't even know like how i would fare as like somebody like you know like you could like in the 60s technically go to jail for being gay you know what i mean so no i don't even know how i would fare in like such a situation let alone how somebody with a disability or somebody with you know, a skin color that marked them as like not a part of society. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that's, yeah. 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 And I mean, it's ironic that you mentioned that because we're, we're recording this during like, during like another weird moment in history where like everything is, everything is changing. And like, I just don't know. I just don't know how I would fare back then. And I, I don't even know how I'm faring now given yeah. it's like COVID and, Black Lives Matter time and all these things are happening and like it's it's a lot to think that this is totally me going off on a tangent but it's a lot to think of like all the things that we have to navigate um, as marginalized people whether we're whether we're black people whether we're people of color whether we're um, you know disabled even now it's 2020 none of this stuff needed to be happening if we would just get over the fact that like or not get over it, but deal with the fact that we have racism and ableism and all these things in our society and start yeah. naming them for what they are. Anyway, that's me having a moment about how I feel about what's currently happening. But back to the... <laughs> I think it's... No, I think we all needed a moment to, like, have that feeling. So, yeah. I, like, I have so many feelings about what's occurring right yeah. now in the world. Um, um, so let's talk about specifically about... about you you mentioned a little bit of at the beginning. You said, you know, you're not sure if you could be a teacher. You're not sure if you could live in the house you live in in what other ways do you think your life might change if you were to become a wheelchair user tomorrow i mean so i'm also kind of like somebody who like i kind of like i stick to like myself and like my small group of people um so you know especially like following like you and like people who are like wheelchair people i'm like i'm realizing like how much like you need like other support like physical support there to like help you guys like do even like regular things that like i just to go to the bathroom like exactly exactly and i don't know i don't think that like i mean i don't want to say that none of my friends would be willing to do that for me but that's like a huge burden i don't know if i would have access to somebody who would be willing to help me go to the bathroom you know what i mean and that that's a really scary thing, like a really scary thing. You're to, the to first person in, in all of the what would happen if interviews that's that's like independently brought up. Oh my god, how would I pee? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's that's a weird thing that like I'm the only person to like bring it up because like I mean you that's like such an essential part of like your life. You have to be able to pee, like right? So yeah. it's like. Yeah, yeah, and I know that they've got like like um like the the bags and stuff to help you and stuff, but it's like yeah, that's like a whole other aspect of like how life would just like alter for me. And I mean it would it wouldn't I can tell you it would involve 
a really deep conversation with you and your friends about like, hey, so you're gonna have to see my genitals in a way you maybe weren't ready for, but here they are. Yeah, <laughs> here they are. Here they are. And I mean, that's a that's a weird. That's a weird that's a weird concept to like just be like I mean not like weird as in like a bad weird but like for me to be able to like go from like I can just go to the bathroom by myself to being able to like go to my friends and be like yo you're gonna have to help me pee like I don't I don't even know how to have a conversation like that with somebody you know what I mean because it's never a conversation I've had to have with somebody I've had it I've had the conversation with somebody I had a friend Years and years ago in college, that I had a giant crush on who I really wanted to sleep with. That, but that that's not with Tenny. But I really and one day I had to go. One day I had to pee, and he was the only one that was available. And I was like, "Look, dude, I know this is weird. I know we're bros, but I really need you to like see my junk right now and take me pee." And so we did it, and it was there was nothing fun about it, and it was awkward as fuck. And like I'll never forget having that conversation. But you can have it. It's just it, yeah, it, it feels uncomfortable all the way around. Yeah. Is there a way like to have that kind of conversation both as like an abled person like to help like a disabled person to be like, yo, this is something that like people have to do. I think I think if you were wanting to help a disabled person and you were like and they needed you, I think you would both just have to get over it and be like, listen, it's it's I know you don't like this. I know this is weird, but you need to pee and I'm going to help you. Otherwise, yeah, like. Otherwise, your bladder is going to burst. And then it's, we're like, I think, and I think because if you were to become disabled tomorrow, you would realize that if you don't do this, your health could get worse. So I think oh, yeah. you, you reach this weird plateau of like, well, someone's going to see my junk that I don't necessarily want to see my junk. But I, like, and you know, I work with attendants every day and I work with people every day who see me in my most vulnerable and like they're not mm-hmm. like jumping over joy to see my junk either they're not like yeah, yeah. Woo! they realize that it's it's a job and they realize there's a boundary there and i think but i think like i think they know how to handle that it is different when you ask your friends though because they're not being paid they're just yeah you're hoping they'll do it out of the goodness of their heart and like what if they say no yeah i that's the thing and too like i've got like I've not got the greatest kidneys in like the world. So it's like when I got to pee, like I got to pee now. So yeah, it's, it's like, I got to like, pee yesterday. So like, hurry up. yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, that's yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but you are literally the first person in all the years of me doing this, these particular episodes, like the year and a half that I've done these episodes that have said like, Oh, I don't know how I would pee. And I think I... like, that's such an important part of the conversation. Do you, do you feel like, now, because you're a gender nonconforming person, and there's so many, yeah. there's so much conversations of like the bathroom and gender nonconforming people like dealing with bathroom stuff. Do you feel like, do you think that you would have a better understanding of how to deal with it because you may have had to deal with stuff with bathroom stuff as a gender nonconforming person? I think that that's like, I don't think so. No, because like it's it's so different. Okay. So like, I've got a penis and like, I have no problem saying right now, like I've got a penis. So like, um, like as a gender nonconforming person, like I tend to feel or lean more towards like my feminine traits. Okay. But if I like stuck in a wheelchair, if I were like in a life where it's like, I like all of a sudden was in a wheelchair, like, I could see that becoming an issue. The fact that I have a penis, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, 
because I being able be- to stand and having a penis means you can just pee quickly and get out of the place. Well, not only that, but like if like I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm in a situation where I'm not going to feel comfortable in a men's room and I'm going to want to go in the females room, people yeah. aren't going to be as willing, I don't think, to take me into like a space where I'm going to be more comfortable to pee. It's funny you bring that up because like my mom, my mom and I, a lot of the times I'll have to pee and she'll be my caregiver and we'll, we've traveled all over like the US doing me doing talks and stuff and so she'll go with me. And we'll travel all the, all over these places, and she'll take me into the the ladies' washroom to go pee when there's not, like, a family washroom available. We'll go into, like, the ladies' stall because she's my helper, and it just makes more sense, and it's easier. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go with her. And I when I go with her, I just stay quiet in the room, and I don't say much when she's there because, like, yeah. I don't want to make the other women in the place feel weird. So I just we just do our thing and get out. But, like, it does – and I agree with you. It does feel super weird to be in as a man as a cis man to be in like a women's a women's washroom so i always prefer when there's like when there's like a, a family washroom off of the aisle or something that i can go into that we can go into together that's yeah. like locked and i can lock the door and you can do like your own thing and like i always appreciate those more because then we can just do the care and get out yeah, and not, and that's another thing is like not every place has that kind of option right yeah. now. There's like a family restroom. I know where I grew up, a lot of places like had that option, and I was actually like really weirded out when people were like, "Well, you can't have men and women in the same bathroom." And I'm like, I had like everywhere where I grew up with, they had like those family restrooms. But then you realize like geographically like the united states does not have that option like in a lot of places no a lot of the bathrooms are hole in the wall literally exactly exactly so yeah no like i just like honestly as like i said a gender non-conforming person like like i could see that even becoming like a bigger issue yeah and you being in it like i can just imagine you being in a wheelchair trying to figure out just in terms of space and size like if you were to go into, say, the men's bathroom, you probably wouldn't have enough room. And if you were to go into the women's bathroom, you'd have enough room, but it might not be, you know, the most comfortable place for you. So, yeah, like, or even at this point, a safe space. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So I think, I think, I mean, that's a whole other layer of this that I never thought about. So I'm so glad you're here to, to talk about that with me. Um, we kind of touched on this just now. I'm going to ask the question anyway because I wrote it down. Uh, how do you think your relationship to your gender nonconforming identity might change if you were a wheelchair user other than just if you can pee? Like, I, again, that was like such an interesting question that I've like, I, I like zeroed in on because like, I don't think that like my gender like identity is like confined by like, my abilities as like a person like I don't think like you know what I mean like the fact that like I'm an artist or that I'm a teacher any of that or you know the fact that I can walk determines my my gender identity um nor is like the way that I dress so maybe if like you know if I were in a wheelchair tomorrow I wouldn't be able to wear a lot of the things that I, I generally wear like high heels or like certain types of clothing um but I don't think that that ties in to my gender identity i think that that's a way to express my gender yeah. identity yeah. but that isn't that isn't like my clothes are not my gender identity yeah so i think i would still very much be a gender non-conforming person just 
going about it now in a way in which I would be in a wheelchair. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you might. I think and I agree with you. And thank you for the reminder that gender expression is not linked yeah. necessarily to gender identity. Um, but I think that you you might struggle to wear certain pieces of clothing, given especially if you are a power wheelchair user. I can tell you just as somebody who likes to wear leather and wear harnesses and be like super slutty on my own in my chair as a cis dude, like that's hard enough. I can't yeah. imagine trying to put on like sexy boots or like, you know, dresses or like certain certain types of clothing just because it wouldn't it would be really hard to do. Absolutely. And that's not to discredit that uh, I know that there are gender nonconforming uh, people in wheelchairs who, who are doing stuff like that. But I mean, that is definitely like one place like I went with it. Like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't be able to wear like, you know, Lady Gaga sky high style boots or something like that. But like that isn't what's going to determine like who I am as a person, like my clothing and how I look shouldn't determine you know who my character is, right? Yeah, totally. So, I yeah. think also when I when I wrote that question, I was thinking about like, I was thinking about just kind of how the connection between gender nonconforming and disability, and how like they're they're linked in that they're both marginalizations, and people already yeah. look down on like disability, and they already look down on like trans and non-binary people. So so just the I was I guess I was the larger like question was like, you know. Would you feel, would you ever feel like you would need to tamp down your expression? Oh, God, no. Sorry. No, I know. I just made like a face. God, no. God, no. <laughs> I love the face you made. You're like, I know, no, like, I mean, like, no. no. No, I, no. I have never in my life been somebody who just buttons their lip when I feel like I need to say something or like or, or, or conforms to what somebody wants me to be just to make them comfortable like I did that enough when I was in high school and I was like bullied relentlessly for who I was and then it's like it becomes easier to like try to adapt rather than stand out yeah but then you realize just how much of a psychological effect that has on you and how much that much that like starts to destroy you as like a human being. And I think that even if I were like, I think I would probably become even louder and more in your face if I became like a wheelchair user tomorrow as a gender nonconforming person, much like you are, because like this is something as a community that we're not discussing kind of like like that intersexual intersectionality of like being like black trans, you know, and queer, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like all of that, like I think. I think personally for myself, like the more that I would like have to deal with, the louder I would get because like the angrier I would get. And when I get angry at a situation, like I'm going to damn well put my foot down and like try and do something about it. Amazing. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's really cool. And, and uh, like, it's, I, I guess, I, I guess again, the, the tamping down question was because when I'm in certain disability spaces, even though I'm queer and everybody knows who I am, when I'm with certain disabled people who are who maybe don't have the same mindset that I do, I find myself quieting the queerness a little bit when I should be, you know, free to yeah. be as loud and as slutty, again, as slutty and as gay as I want to be or as queer as I want to be. But I find myself, because a lot of the disability community is 
and I don't think they mean to be, but a lot of a lot of the disability community that I've gone to conferences with and talked to has been a little bit a little bit not super into the queer thing. So I found myself having to even though I'm like the presenter and I'm talking about all this stuff on stage, I'm doing all the work, I find myself having to be having to compartmentalize like just how queer I want to be at these events yeah. as a disabled person. Whereas when I'm in a queer event, I can be super queer, but I then have to tamp down the disability or like quiet the disability. It's a very, so that's why I was asking like, what do you think? Yeah. That's like a really interesting like perspective. And I think like, you know, as, as queer people, like we've all been like, you know, in that situation. And I feel like, you know, I actually just went up to Provincetown. Have you ever been to Provincetown? I've heard about Provincetown and the the the, the bear, the sexy bear yeah. week they have there. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't there during Bear Week. I was there right at the end, or like right at the start of like October. So like right as like fall was like coming in. Nice. Um, and walking around Provincetown, which is just this like super gay safe haven versus like even walking around like my own neighborhood like yeah i see that like i see where i have to also like turn down like how queer i am in certain spaces and you know i i don't want to do that anymore you know like that's like one thing like i'm realizing like especially this one like this last year i've been focusing more and more on it it's like i don't want to live in a space anymore where I'm invalidated just for existing, you know? So it, like I said, I think that like, as I, like, if like I were, if I became a wheelchair user tomorrow, I absolutely would be, I think louder. And I, cause I do get that. Like, I do get that you like that as queer people, we have to, we have to hide it. And that's like somewhat of a privilege because like, you know, as you, as somebody who is in a wheelchair, you can't hide your disability. And it's like, again, with the riots going on, it's like a, like if you're a black person, you can't hide your skin color. Right. So I think if I were to become into a situation where I could no longer, you know, for lack of a better word, hide, like it would force me to really like, be involved because like the stuff should have like we said changed a long time ago so not that i'm not trying to be involved now but like there's always stuff more that we can do i guess is what i'm saying yeah totally and i think if you were to become a wheelchair user tomorrow like to be loud and gender non-conforming and a wheelchair user that's that's power there's power in that and to all the people that are gender non-conforming and wheelchair users and are like doing it and showing them and and living that identity as loudly as they can, I support. Yeah. I support that totally. Oh, I support them too. And I I want. I know that it's hard, but I want more people to be louder. You know, so the loudest, like, and not that it's like in like an. Yeah, but like, let's all be loud right now, right? Like, let's all like do what we can to be loud and like be kind to one another and like make some real changes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, because we're a sex podcast, I do want to ask this question, and I know you're a teacher, so I'm asking. I'm gonna ask it as delicately as I can. Um, and because, so because being a wheelchair user changes the kind of sex you can have and the, the ways you can express your sexuality in sexual acts and stuff. What kind of sex do you like having right now, and how do you think that sex would change if you were to become a wheelchair user? I mean, right now, I'm not really having any sex because of quarantine. 
unfortunately. <laughs> All right, so um, pre-COVID. We'll get... Pre-COVID. Now, um, pre-COVID, I've been seeing this guy. Um, we've been, it's been an on and off again uh, relationship for about like 13, 14 years. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how would that change? I don't know. Honestly, that's like, I don't know. Um, like I follow you and I, I know that like you work with sex workers and stuff like that. And like I, if that, I don't know, like if that's something like either I would have to utilize as an option, if I would choose to then be celibate and God, no, who wants to be celibate? Uh, it's not I the fifty. it's not fun. Unless you're asexual and you're choosing that, then, then I think. Yeah, absolutely. But, That's not what I meant. I meant for myself, like, God, no. Why would I? Yeah, no. me neither. Like, I uh, love, I love, give, give me that D. No, no, thank you. Yes, I, I want absolutely. it all the time. Um, absolutely. So, I mean, would sex with him change? Probably not in that sense. Um, but I can't, I can't say for sure. It's not, it's not like something I could say. Oh, absolutely! Our sex life would never change. Do you think you? Do you think because so many people, when they experience somebody becoming disabled, if they have an, if they already have a partner, do you think that he would stay with you? Do you think he would have reservations? Like, and you can't know this for sure, but like, do you, is it like? How I mean, you... I, I would love to say yes. Of course, he would like stand by me and be like the most like perfect human being in the world. But are are any of us like the most perfect human beings in the world? No. Absolutely not. Um, and so I'm sure, like I'm a hundred percent sure. Even just given like the nature of our relationship, you know, as two able-bodied people, um, it's not always easy. You know, like we we're normal, like in the sense that we get into arguments, like you know, any couple does. You know, or like any person in a relationship, you know, does. Um, even though we're not. We don't technically slap it with that label that we're dating, but like, you know, he's my best friend. Of course, we, we, you know, we see things differently at times. So, you know, I can absolutely see where if like I became a wheelchair user tomorrow, where that would like put a strain on things. Absolutely. Um, I also know that like right now he's been like struggling with like not you know, being as sexually active as he is and wondering if he himself is, you, you mentioned asexual, um, if he him, himself is asexual and just that like he's not interested as se in sex as like a person. Um, so between us, like generally, would our sexual relationship change? I don't think so. Um, would I, as a person myself who does really enjoy sex, like you said, um, look at utilizing like different options or you know available for me that's something i would absolutely i don't know it's not an easy question yeah. <laughs> right which is not totally why i asked it because I, I know i know but like um, that, that's a great answer though like i like that it's not easy yeah. because like who's to know but it is something that you 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 probably have to consider like the types of sex you have you probably have to consider the positions you have. That's exactly where I, my mind keeps going is like positions, like exactly where my mind keeps going. Like, like you'd probably have to consider, you know, comfort pillows, like all those things. But um, you, I mean, first of all, there's some really hot sex workers in Chicago. I know because I've talked to a few of them. There's, there's some really 
attractive sex workers in Chicago. Oh my god, I love it. I love it. Perfect. I could hook you up with if that I ever happened. Give me some number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that I loved about your questionnaire, one of the questions that I wrote specifically for you, was you mentioned that you work with a lot of marginalized communities, and one of the things you mentioned that you do is you're the head chef at a soup kitchen, right? I was, yes, I was. Um, I when I started school, I I taken kind of like a backseat to some of my humanitarian work because it's like. You know, when you're doing full school full time and then also working, it's like you there's only so many hours in the day. So yeah. but yes, I was working at Shepherd's Table in Joliet, Illinois. Great organization, which I will happily plug. Um shame the slug, <laughs> shame the slug. Yeah, if you're there, if you're there, if you're in the Joliet area, go and check them out. Um, get a meal if you need, or you know, they've got beds and stuff for people to stay in, or even just go and volunteer for a weekend. They're always accepting volunteers and they have a drop off as well. So, you know, you can also just drop off stuff. Did you have a sense when you were volunteering were were you you were working there or volunteering there? I was volunteering. Okay. Do you have a sense when you were volunteering there that, like, did you have a look at the accessibility policy? Did they have, like, did they have wheelchair-using people come in there that you remember? From what I gathered, there was – I have been working with that uh, specific organization um, for quite a few years. And I've – off the top of my head, no. I don't think I've ever really seen somebody there in a wheelchair. Okay. and it's a it's another one of those where it's an old building. I've toured the building. I've never really seen like you have to actually take there is a okay, I take that back. There is, I think, a ramp in the back um where they do the drop off. But like to get into the like the general entrance of the building, it's pretty much just like I think a straight like sidewalk and possibly a ramp to the side. Um, but I don't think I know that they've got access. Uh, I just have never personally seen somebody there in a wheelchair. Right. So if you so. if you were to to like transfer the the chef job you have and pretend that you were a wheelchair user, like how do you think working in a kitchen would like I can I can tell you what I think, but how do you think working in a kitchen as a wheelchair user would be different? I don't think I would be able to maneuver very well in that kitchen, uh, especially as a wheelchair user. It's a very tiny, tiny cramped kitchen. And if you get like more than like 10 people like in there at a time, like even like as a person who's able bodied like that is it's it's very hard to work around that kitchen. You know what I mean? So um, I don't think that I would be able I hate to say that like I don't think I would be able to continue to be like a chef at that kitchen or to run the kitchen uh the way that I was because it's like I had to like move like to different like sections throughout the kitchen and like with different like groups working on different things and be able to like see what people are doing and be able to like be hands-on and get in there and that's not something that would be I don't think accessible to me to be able to do um if I were wheelchair and so I highlight, I knew that already, and I knew that's the answer you were going to give. And I highlighted that specifically to say, like, we need more accessibility in the kitchens, and it, particularly in soup kitchens, because what if there is a disabled person who yeah. is a great chef and who does want to help and who does have time to volunteer? And a lot of disabled people who can't find 
quote unquote work. I yeah. think I think everything is work, but a lot of people who can't find work are you know are told to volunteer. And so what if you what if you're a great chef who's a wheelchair user, but you can't get in there and help somebody because they don't make it accessible. So I highlighted that question specifically to say we need more disabled chefs out there to be given access, like wheelchair using chefs. And if you're listening and you are a wheelchair using chef, come on the fucking show and talk to me because I want to hear from you. But uh, but but um. Um, now I think I wrote this down wrong. You're not an art teacher. You're not an art teacher. You're just a teacher. No, I'm an art teacher. Okay. Okay. I read it right. So, so, okay. <laughs> so my next question, if you were a realtor user and you were to still want to be an art teacher, how do you think you'd fare there? I, I think with, with that, it would be a lot about like, okay, what district am I in? Um, what does the school offer in terms of like, um, accessibility for, for people with disabilities. Right. And, um, how can like, I don't think that like the thought I was going with, like, I don't think that like being like, if I were in a wheelchair, it would affect how I, I teach and like present information. Oh, I think uh, it would. I think it totally would. I think it would change. I think it would because your lens on the world would be okay. When you, fair. when you, when you're standing right now, when you stand up, like you're seeing the world from up here. Whereas when I'm sitting where I'm sitting, I'm seeing like from a totally different vantage point. So the way you okay. saw perspective, the way you saw, the way you taught like uh, certain drawing things, like oh, I think all of that would totally change for you. Okay, okay, that's honestly like a way I didn't even like think of it. I just thought about it as like teaching the concepts and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I think if you're reading a book to the students and like you're reading the concept, that's not going to change. But I think yeah. the way you view the concept of certain things as a wheelchair user might be different because of your vantage point. And so much like I now the last art class I took to be fair, was in like fifth grade. So I don't know. I don't, I can't speak properly on this, but like, I remember how passionate my art teacher was about like certain things and the way the vantage point was and about how to talk about perspective. And I remember looking at all this stuff having, you know, because with my disability, I also have um, spatial awareness stuff. Okay. So if you said to me, draw me perspective, my brain's like, what the fuck? I don't know how to do that. So like, okay. you might you might also have a disability where, let's pretend you have my disability. You might also have uh, spatial awareness stuff where the idea of drawing a, a square or a cube in perspective is like not, your brain doesn't know how to do that. No, that's like a really, really honest, like an honest point that like, I guess personally I never really I, I never thought of it never crossed my mind to think that like you know some students and even myself if I you know if I became a wheelchair user will see vantage points differently and that's totally and like an like like a mind-blowing thing to say because like it's so obvious it's so obvious well but but also like of course it's not because you never because you, you never think about it yeah, yeah right one of those things that you take advantage of because like you're so used to seeing the world through your lens and through your perspective and like as teachers we are absolutely like challenged to like modify like our our lessons and stuff for students who will you know approach material in like different ways like that 
And I never like thought of it like in the sense that like, how can I modify my lesson so that if I do have a student, you know, who does see spatial things differently, like how how I can use that like for their advantage, because I, absolutely I can. There's got to be a way. I how? mean, I think you have to teach them to, to not worry about because so much of art from what I remember when I was in school, like. Again, when I was in like fifth grade, what I remember was my teacher was so strict about the rules of how to do this. And my body, because I have spastic CP and sometimes I would like draw inside the lines and I just would not, I couldn't, my body would not allow me to follow the like stricture of the rules of art. So I think that like allowing the student to not follow the rules and to like do something totally abstract would be way cooler than like. Oh, no, absolutely. And I totally agree. And I always, always try to like approach my lesson plans where I give the students like the ability to choose medium and like incorporate like their own personal ideologies into their work. Because as I've always said, like to me as an art teacher and just just like an educator, like I have to recognize that not every student who comes into my class is going to be like the next Rembrandt or Michelangelo or Picasso. Um, they're all going to have. Who wants to be any of those dudes? Because they were stuffy white dudes who didn't. <laughs> who like? Yeah, they made some great art, but they had some really weird ideas about the world. They did. They did. Let's be truthful. Um, and but the point being is, is like you have to recognize that like yeah, your students are going to all come like at at art with like different abilities and you can't like you can't like art is both like something you can teach absolutely but it's also something that like you know you hear about like art prodigies all the time like people are just born with like innate gifts to be able to create and stuff like that so some people are just not going to have are we getting another poor some people are just can you still hear me yeah yeah Yep. Chris? I can hear you. You're not moving. But Hello? Hello? Yeah. Hello. I don't know what keeps happening there. That's I even weird. moved inside the time so that it was. It was good for like 47 minutes. We were good. I know. I know. Um, but like what I was saying is like, you know, you have to like modify like for, for different student abilities. Cause not everybody is going to want to be an artist. Not everybody is going to, you know, necessarily have the ability to be an artist, but everybody can benefit from an arts education and learn how to think crit- critically and learn to like develop cognitive functions that like help them to be better people in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think also, you know, just thinking about you as being the art teacher in a wheelchair, I think that it would, because I've never seen it. I've never seen an art teacher in a wheelchair. I've like, never seen an art teacher in a wheelchair. That would I, blow my freaking mind. I uh, want to see I want to see it. Yeah. And so, hey, if you're a chef or an artist in a wheelchair, and I know there are some of you out there, come on the fucking show. Let's talk about it. Um, yes. Got advocates like let's get you into schools. Yeah, like let's yes. Okay. Let's get you paid for talking yeah. about how you I can change the world as wheelchair users. So so I was gonna ask you the next question was gonna be like, is there any part about being a gender nonconforming person that makes you feel like you're better equipped to be a wheelchair user? And we sort of asked we sort of answered this already, but I'll ask it again. So yeah, is there another is there 
a part of the experience of being a gender non-conforming person that would make you more comfortable with the idea of being a wheelchair user? I think that just like the fact that like like I'm as a gender non-conforming person I'm already like used to sort of doing things outside of like the binary right yeah. so like, I think in that sense like if I became like a wheelchair user tomorrow I'd be like okay it's just another thing that puts me outside of the binary right but I emotionally would it would it like prepare me probably not like i'm sure like i would have like an emotional reaction like if i you know became wheelchair bound tomorrow um i would hope that like it would prepare me like i said in that sense to just be like okay it's just another thing outside of the binary it's another thing that like i have to like i will get people to accept um but yeah absolutely i think it's something that i would have an emotional reaction to even as a gender non-conforming person i wasn't gonna ask you about this but you've mentioned it twice now so i want to bring it up you said when we were talking about it you you said wheels are bound twice and i i'm just i and i i think it's interesting that you bring up that language i'm not upset about it i'm just curious where, like where where in your understanding of disability did the did the term wheelchair bound come from um I think it's probably if it's an ignorance thing for me to say, I'm so sorry, and I will stop saying it. Um, it's not generally a term people use. I don't think it's well. It is a term people use, but it's not the preferred term anymore. But I'm I was just curious because I want I love these conversations and I love like bringing up these topics. And I think so many people use terms like wheelchair bound and they don't even realize it. That's why I didn't call you on it initially because I was like. I want to. I'll just leave it and see, and I'll just see. And it, again, not to like throw shade, but I just think God, no. it's so interesting how you said it, and then you didn't even realize you said it, and it just you just kept going. So like that's how. Why? What I find interesting about that is how pervasive the ableism is, and how like people say stuff with no with no malice and what I loved about the way you said it was you weren't saying it in a way to be like oh my god that's offensive you just said it so I just I was curious and I wanted to just bring that up with you no I really actually I appreciate when people like bring that stuff up because it's it's not an experience that like I I know so like I can for like myself as like a queer person say no that language is is not right um but it's just I guess it's language that I've always grown up with yeah so it's not something that, like, I I consciously know, like, yeah, no. Of course, that's why. No. That's why I didn't. That's why when you said it now, we're going. We first started talking. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'm gonna. And then when you said it again, I was like, well, I have to bring it up because it's like. No, I'm glad you did because I like I. That's part of like being. I think like a good ally and and as a teacher, like I don't want to say or do anything that's going to make any one of my students feel like othered or down. Um, So if I, if my language needs to change, challenge me on it. Like if my language needs to change and how, and I think that's also like a big part of like what's going on. Like a lot of us don't even realize some of these microaggressions that we're, that we're perpetuating. So call on it, like call people on it and be willing to listen. So I'm here and I'm, well, thank you so much. I think also when people like when people use that language and they don't realize, I listen to the tone of their voice. I listen to like kind of how you and I mentioned earlier when we were talking about your your pronouns and how you want to be 
what you might want to be referred to. And you said, you know, as long as you're not disrespecting me, say whatever. Mm-hmm. So I listened to the tone of your voice and I was listening to how you said wheelchair bound. And I was like, well, they're not saying it in a way that is hurting me. So I'm not going to immediately jump to the defensive. And so that's why, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I just, the way you said it didn't offend me right away. And I was immediately like, oh my God. I was like, no, no, they're just, they're learning as they go. So I'm not going to like, yeah. oh my God, that's so horrible. Worst language ever. I, I, I wanted to have that conversation because I was like, well, they've said it twice. And then that's when I want to bring it up. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Honestly, thank you. And yeah, no, thank you for calling me on it. And thank you for, you In know, the gentlest, that. most loving way ever. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not, I'm not saying you did it. You did it in any way that was like full of animosity. Like, no, and you should call me on it. Absolutely. Because like, I like that is it as I am still learning. And so when you're learning, you're going to make mistakes. Um, and I apologize. I didn't mean anything. Um, I take responsibility for it. So because like, I did not mean it. Um, of to course. Be a, I was using it as know. like the host to be like, let's make it a conversation piece. Like, that's where and I was. I'm glad you did, because that's that's the whole point of like a lot of this, right? Like, that's why you're doing you do what you do, because like a lot of us don't have your experience. And that's how we're going to learn. Yeah, totally. On that note, the last question I have for you, Chris Robin, is <laughs> uh, is there any part of the disability experience and this question of if you became disabled tomorrow or a wheelchair user tomorrow, is there any part of this when I posed it to you? that scared you like when or when well you brought it to me but when the the whole idea was introduced to you were you like oh fuck i'm scared about doing this i'm scared about this like i'm scared of this question no i mean what my biggest fear was was saying something wrong and i already did that and we <laughs> had a conversation about it um so i think I mean, as a teacher, like we we actually don't don't tell the students, but we um, we put in like um, we put in assignments that we know our students are going to fail at. Right. Like we know that like some of the assignments we give our students, they're going to not do the greatest on because the whole point is to teach our students that failure is like a part of life. Right. Like you have to fail in order to like realize okay you made a mistake that doesn't mean that like that mistake defines you it's just a stepping stone to where you can do better and so like i said my my biggest fear was saying something wrong but in in doing so it it allowed us to have that conversation so that i can take responsibility for where i need to do better and so i think not fearing failure is like like a good point like yeah. to make that point so does that make sense totally the yeah. lar- the larger question i have within that question was like is there any part of becoming a wheelchair user or becoming disabled generally that like scares you um i mean the way the way that society would treat you like i mean society already doesn't treat marginalized people very well and that's okay. one thing we had we've talked about both like through you know the language that i used and then like just how society is set up generally there's like it's not set up to be very accommodating to people with disabilities and that's what scares me the most is just not like feeling like being in a world feeling like i'm not supposed to be in that world you know, yeah. like it's not made for me. 
and it's, you know, like feeling like I shouldn't be who I am simply because I live in a society. And I already like kind of have that feeling as like a queer person, but I'm a white queer person. And there are people who like, you know, like I have a privilege as like a white queer person. Like, yeah. you know, I can dress up as like a man and walk down the street and not say anything. And as a white person, you know, pass. Um, and, you know, as somebody in, you know, if I became in a wheelchair tomorrow, like I, that's not something I would be able to do. And I think that scares me is not, not being able to hide when I would want to hide. My thinking is like, too, if you wanted to, like we were talking earlier about you choosing the clothes you want to wear and dressing a certain way and expressing a certain way. Can you imagine having to call your attending care worker and be like, Hey, even though I present like a man, I want to wear this dress. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, that kind of goes back to like what we were talking about with like bathrooms and stuff too. Cause it's like, if I were like out in a public space and it's like, if I wanted to use like, am I, and I'm dressed up in a dress, but I've got a penis, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how, how do you, that is, you know, that is a very, very frightening thing as like a gender nonconforming person. So like have to, like, I would have to be with somebody like with a care worker who like truly understood that side of the identity. And it's, I don't want to say it's so new, but socially, like the idea of gender nonconforming people is like such a new concept. Oh yeah. And the concept for care workers too, there's such a lack of discussion. I can, I can tell you from my own personal experience, there's such a lack of discussion about sexuality in care spaces that that the whole idea of you having to say like let's pretend your carrier was super masculine and super cis and like didn't would help you but wasn't super into the idea that you were like maybe gender nonconforming. I don't know if they would have the skills to have a conversation about like you're gonna help Andrew but sometimes he wears a dress and so you're gonna yeah. like sometimes you might have to go to this bathroom because he would want to do like. I don't know. I think we need to have more conversations of this within care spaces because gender nonconforming disabled people who use wheelchairs exist and they're out there and they deserve the chance to have that expression. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I definitely think that that is like, and I really appreciate the fact that you wanted me on as a gender nonconforming person to start that conversation. Oh, yeah. Like I'm a gender non-conforming person who isn't in a wheelchair. Like there are like social f- figures right now who are gender non-conforming people in wheelchairs and stuff like that. So it's it's a conversation that's starting, but it's not a conversation that's like really being had yet. So totally, any yeah. gender non-conforming people in wheelchairs or using mobility devices or who have any kind of disability who want to talk to me, I you know what to do. Disability after gmail.com. Uh, Chris Robin, this is such a fun conversation. This is where I'm going to end it now. I had the best time. Hey, um, thank you. I want to. I want people to be able to reach out to you and just chat if they want to get to know you better. How can they do that? Um, they can either get a hold of me at uh, my Instagram, which is just K R I S Chris underscore Robin underscore. Uh, shoot me a DM, or if they want to email me, it's just Chris Robin thirteen at gmail dot com. I'm always up for, you know, doing anything and, you know, taking down the system of injustice. <laughs> so. This is so fun. I had such a good time. And uh, we, I'm going to talk to you when I hit off just now, but thanks okay. so much for coming on Disability After Dark. Another episode of, of, what did they call this? If you became disabled tomorrow. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is great. All right. We'll talk in a second. Bye. Bye.
And there you have it. There's another Thursday edition of our Disability After Dark. And I love doing the What Would Happen If You Became Disabled Tomorrow series because it gets people to really sit down and look at disability in a way they never considered before. And the interview with Chris really illuminated that for me. So uh, that's amazing. If you want to be a part of this type of series and if you are non-disabled and you want to talk to me about what it might be like to become disabled tomorrow and interrogate all those feelings for yourself, talk about ableism, talk about all those things with me, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know that's something you want to do. Also, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com to let me know if you want to be a part of a quarantine and chill or do any other kind of episodes and let me know what kind of things you want to hear as we embark on our on our 200th episode and beyond. But I love the quarantine and chills too, and I think that's really cool to do those. I love hearing those perspectives. I love the what's your condition episodes. I love all the things. So let me know what you want to hear um, via email, and I'd love to hear from you. So thank you for listening to this one, and we'll be back tomorrow for another Quarantine and Chill. And you'll, you can now hear the outro, and then it'll all be done. But thanks, friends. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, friends. This has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work, and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020